Welcome to Solarpunk Futures, a podcast brought to you by Android Press and Solarpunk Magazine. A Solarpunk Futures brings you short stories, poetry, nonfiction, analysis, and discussion about envisioning and building a new world where humanity, technology, and nature coexist in harmony rather than in conflict. I'm Brie Castagnazzi, the co-host of Solarpunk Futures and co-editor-in-chief of Solarpunk Magazine. And I'm Justine Norton Curtin, also co-host and co-editor-in-chief of Solarpunk Magazine. Welcome to Solarpunk Futures. show everyone and thank you so much for joining us. We have a couple guests with us today from Arizona State University which has put out a couple of climate fiction anthologies that are at least solar punk adjacent if not solar punk themselves. So we're going to talk with them about those anthologies and the work they do at ASU. All right yeah so in no particular order our first guest is Joey Eshrick. Joey is the editor and program manager for the Center for Science and the Imagination at Arizona State University and assistant director of Future Tense, a partnership of ASU, Slate Magazine, and New America that explores emerging technologies, policy, culture, and society. Joey has co-edited a number of books uh, that are fiction and nonfiction, including A Year Without a Winter from Columbia Books on Architecture in the City, Visions, Ventures, Escape, Velocities, supported by a grant from NASA and was put out in 2017, and Cities of Light, a collaboration with the National Renewal Energy Laboratory, uh, and a book that we're going to talk more about today on the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks. And here with Joey today is Clark A. Miller. Um, He is professor and director of the Center for Energy and Society at Arizona State University. Uh, He's the co-editor of Cities of Light 2021 and The Weight of Light 2019, uh, two collections of solar punk science fiction and critical scholarship exploring the future of societies powered by solar energy. He's also a member of the U.S. National Academy's Committee on Accelerating Decarbonization of the U.S. Energy System and an advisor to the Electric Power Research Institute, uh, the City of Phoenix, and the Salt River Project on Equitable Decarbonization. Great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, welcome, both of you. Thanks for for joining us. Yep. Great to have you both. Um, Without further ado, first question. So tell us about Arizona State University's Center for Science and the Imagination. What kind of work do you all do there? Uh, So yeah, I'll I'll take that one. Um, The Center for Science and the Imagination um, is a research unit um, at Arizona State University. We've been around since 2012 and uh, we get people together to craft visions of the future that are grounded uh, in sort of real world technological understanding and scientific research, um, but are also responsive to sort of social and cultural research and realities. Um, A lot of times what this takes the form of is uh, very much like these 
solar fiction and nonfiction collections that we're going to talk about today. Um, bringing people together in either virtual or in-person settings, uh, workshops or sort of other structured processes for collaboration, um, having that unfold over a couple of days, or if it's virtual, maybe a couple of weeks, and then taking the energy of those conversations and gatherings um, and having fiction authors and artists and scholars and policy folks like come together to put all of that work into a book. And so those books often include uh, a blend of original short fiction, uh, illustrations and art, um, and then nonfiction responses that kind of jump off from the stories and expand on them in a variety of ways, talking about pathways to make those futures a reality, or talking about complexities and challenges, or what those stories about the future tell us about the present. Very fascinating. Um, multimedia approach really sounds not terribly dissimilar from what we do at Solarpunk Magazine. Yeah, I think, I mean, it does seem to me there's a bit of a zeitgeist around using storytelling uh, kind of deliberately in this way, um, thoughtfully to try to like expand conversations or um, bring more people into dialogues. You know, for me, I, I know like, it, and this animates a lot of the work I, I think at our center is that, you know, people who don't feel like they necessarily have like a huge list of credentials around an area uh, can still have a seat at the table. And these are issues, you know, especially when it comes to environment and energy and society, for example, that concern everybody and they touch our lives, um, as Clark can talk about more in, a, in, a, in, in myriad ways. And, and so those conversations can still feel really hard to get into though. And it can feel hard to, to, to be read up enough. And I know for me anyway, when we get into a new area, uh, we're usually doing it through a project that involves storytelling and fiction. And, and I'm lucky to work with all these smart people, but the stories are a gateway for me into understanding what's important, um, what are the sticking points and priorities in that area, what the most interesting debates are, um, and getting me a bit oriented. So I feel like I can then like learn more about it and, and have some scaffolding instead of just feeling like I'm sat at the table with a bunch of PhDs in an area that I have no um, background in. Uh, so stories can hopefully be like a helpful on-ramp into issues that seem complex and intimidating. Yeah, it really is, like you said, I think, you know, part of this like is just zeitgeist shift that, that's happening the way that, that fiction is being used in that way. Um, I mean, I think particularly seeing Grist and, and Fix moving forward with their their really big and successful Imagine 2200 competition. Yeah. Um, I think that was where for the first time I was sort of like, okay, cool. You know, like it's a, an, an, an organization, a media organization that's generally you know, non-fiction focused that is suddenly seeing value in in fiction and storytelling from a, yeah. from the fictional perspective to sort of get at and accomplish the same the same goal put out the same message and that's such a high quality collection with such arresting mm -hmm. art i mean it but what that does too is it, it it sort of captures and epitomizes like the energy that you see in a lot of publications wired publishes science fiction the new york times has these mm -hmm. short sort of op-eds from the future flash fiction pieces um, MIT Technology Review does these lovely 12 Tomorrows anthologies, Issues in Science and Technology, which is part of our kind mm -hmm. of like extended family at ASU, the National Academies of Science, Engineering and Medicine publication does science fiction publishing sometimes, they actually recently <laughs> ran one of the stories from our Cities of Light book um, by Deji Bryce Lukatun, um, talking about the grid and electricity infrastructure. And so you do see, you know, in media organizations and nonprofits and, you know, government agencies like the EU and Fortune 500 companies, like 
futures and storytelling and design fiction and all of these kind of narratively infused methods um, being appreciated uh, in a way. And, you know, I, I hope it's to the good. Um, I, I, I know for me, it can just, you know, in an agnostic way, be a really powerful tool to help people synthesize information. And again, to kind of involve lots of people in the conversation who um, have different kinds of backgrounds and perspectives. Yeah, and I think what we're trying to do that's distinct, and CSI has really been this fantastic instigator uh, of this, is we're trying to bring that same idea, that same zeitgeist into the places in the world that are really charged with, on the one hand, analyzing the future, right? So you think about expert institutions, the National Renewable Energy Lab, in this particular case, we were working with the national academies, um, or on the other hand, inventing the future, right? If you think about science and engineering laboratories and startup companies and uh, that, are, that are really out there trying to uh, invent the future, if you go back a decade even, and you look at, for example, how people were talking about uh, energy futures, you get on the one hand, the National Academies wrote this 800 page report called America's Energy Future. Uh, it, it's an amazing report in some respects. There is not a single person in it in 800 pages, right? It's all technology all the time. And how you would get your head around that if you're not an engineering expert is just, you know, you can't do it, right? And so that was one of the kind of motivators for us to say, how do we really think about what all of that technological change will mean for people uh, and create a set of resources that will allow people to get engaged in some of the deep choices that were laid out in that kind of a report. Um, <clears throat> and so really trying to think about, uh, you know, how we could use storytelling to open up uh, different ways of articulating the future and thinking about the future. It's not just about what technologies we'll have. We all know, of course, in the solar punk space that, you know, when you build new kinds of technologies, you're also building new kinds of societies, new kinds of cultures, new sets of relationships between people, new kinds of uh, values, hopefully, that people have. And so how do you bring that side of the story into our systematic efforts to, on the one hand, think about the future, analyze the future, uh, map the future, and on the other hand, create it, right? You, the other stories you get are, you know, the narratives out of these places like Silicon Valley that are these fictional, I mean, truly fictional narratives about what some utopic future is gonna look like if you just adopt our technology, right? So we're trying to inject that realism right, a kind of social realism. And that's kind of interesting in thinking about how do we use like solar punk, especially kind of sensibilities to tell stories that are, you know, hopeful and optimistic, but not utopic and, and imaginary in that sense, right? And really, really bring a serious conversation uh, for us about what are the choices that we have, not about, not just about which technology we're going to use. Is this a nuclear future? Is this a solar future? Is this a, you know, a future with coal-fired power plants that are sequestering their carbon under the ground? But really a question about what kind of choices do we have about what kind of societies we want to build for the future as well. 
Yeah, I, I love what you said about um, sort of the idea of how technology affects people being the motivation behind the the anthologies that you all have put out. I know Brie had at some point kind of noticed a similar thing in solar punk art that's out there. You know, it's there's lots of really amazing, beautiful cityscapes that show these amazing potential technologically advanced futures and the way they incorporate and sort of harmonize with nature and it's really awesome but you don't see people in them a lot right so um i know that's one of the things uh and i guess for any artists out there who are listening um this is our big secret one of the things we're looking for in particular when it comes to art and our, our magazine over the first year is uh, is stuff that highlights people in these places and, and the role that people play and the, the effect that that technology has on them so it was pretty cool uh similarity there um we've been but, working uh, oh ahead. sorry go ahead no 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 go ahead it's cool it's all right we've been working with this organization called the land art generator initiative mm. um which holds these big global design competitions for renewable energy as public art so they work with cities like Abu Dhabi or or Copenhagen or Santa Monica, they they find a space uh, in those cities and then they get architectural firms from all over the world to come up with these amazing ideas of how you could build sculptures with renewable energy in those spaces that would produce clean energy and uh, and yet also be uh, educational spaces to tourist locations and, and things like that. But, you know, one of the things that they love about working with us is historically those competitions, you know, architects always stick people in their diagrams, but they don't really explore what life is like in these future mm -hmm. cities and future spaces. And so um, as we've been working with them, they've really put more and more emphasis on getting people to start thinking about what kinds of communities they're creating, not just what kinds of solar or wind artworks they're creating uh, in these futures. And now we're working collaboratively on this idea that we're calling uh, Build Back Solar. And the idea is to think about how can we bring solar into American cities uh, in ways that are socially beneficial. Uh, and optimize really the beneficial outcomes that we can get from deploying lots and lots of solar energy. That's fascinating. Um, well, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on. Bree, do you want to ask the next question? I've already talked quite a bit. Sure. Um, so Clark, you're involved in another ASU program called Center for Energy and Society. What kind of work is going on there and what is the relationship, if any, uh, between the Center for Energy and Society and the Center for Science and the Imagination? Sure, thanks. Yeah, so we're, uh, again, another research center at ASU. We, we don't do normal things at ASU. <laughs> we only do weird hybrid collaborative kind of crazy things. And um, Center for Energy and Society is one of those. We have humanists and social scientists and, and uh, engineers and creative folks who come together in the center to think about 
as we do this energy transition, uh, what what are we, how are we involving people in that conversation? What will it mean for people? And and ultimately, for me, the most important piece of it is how can we leverage these investments that we're talking about making? I mean, so the International Energy Agency projects that we're talking literally trillions of dollars hmm. of investments in new energy systems. That's just too much money to get an energy system that is clean, but doesn't do anything else for us, in my view, right? That otherwise replicates the energy system that we have with all of its pathologies, right? In many respects. I mean, so yes, critically important that we do that, right? That we get that clean energy future, we tackle climate change, we eliminate a lot of air pollution and water pollution and soil pollution and all that stuff that comes with fossil fuels. So critically important goal, but I still think not only morally do we have an obligation to try to get more out of those investments than just that, uh, but I actually think that if we do figure out how to get more from that for people, they'll be more excited about making those investments and we'll be able to do it faster. Uh, and really accelerate this transition to the pace that we need to really tackle climate change. So we're really focused on this question of how can we make sure that these investments that we're making in a clean energy future are investments in a, uh, an awesome human future, if you will. And that means that we think really hard about you know, actual energy projects, concrete energy projects, and how we design them to create social benefits on one end. And on the other end, we collaborate with the Center for Science and the Imagination on uh, forcing us, and that's what these two books are really about, to think about the choices that we have about what kinds of renewable energy futures to build. Everybody's so focused on this, you know, debate between solar and coal right? Or between uh, wind and nuclear, right? They're these big, you know, one technology versus another. But if you just look at solar energy and the amount of it we're going to need, I mean, everybody thinks we're going to need enough solar to power half the world's energy supply in 2050, if we're going to, if it's going to be clean. You just have to have a lot of solar. That's hundreds of billions of solar panels. And it turns out how you lay those down in the world and solar punk is so awesome at displaying this matters. Mm -hmm. It matters enormously who owns them. It matters enormously where you put them. It matters enormously if you, if you congregate them in rural landscapes versus putting them on everybody's rooftop versus making gardens out of them. Mm -hmm. it, it matters a lot. And, and, so how do we help people see that those choices matter, explore mm -hmm. those choices, deliberate those choices, uh, and really hopefully unleash human imagination to create solar futures that we all actually want to live in? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's very similar, if not pretty much the exact same thing as the whole idea of a just transition and making sure that through the transition to green energy technology, we're not replicating the same inequities and inequalities that that exist under the current energy system. But um, 
I want to talk about the the fiction anthologies that you all have put out. Uh, there's two of them. Uh, one was put out in 2018 uh, called The Weight of Light, a collection of solar futures, and then a follow-up in 2020 uh, called Cities of Light. Um, so I'm curious what those what those anthologies are are sort of about, what the main themes are, what the relationship is between them, if anything other than just time or <laughs> uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll jump in just to get started, although I'd love for Clark to add more and help me expand, but just to, to start with process, and this goes back to describing a common sort of workflow or project structure for the Center for Science and the Imagination, in both cases there was an in-person workshop um, that started those projects and, and a series of collaborations, right? So at the Weight of Light, we had, you know, the Center for Energy and Society and a solar research, uh, engineering research center at ASU called Quest or uh, Quantum Energy and Sustainable Solar Technologies Research Center. Big mouthful there. Um, and then in the second book, Cities of Light, we worked um, with partners from ASU, of course, but then also the National Renewable Energy Lab in Colorado. Um, and we were very lucky to do that workshop in Colorado um, at the NREL uh, headquarters uh, in Golden, Colorado, in uh, like right before. Uh, the pandemic shut everything down. So we, we went out there in February of 2020 and it was like the last, you know, the last trip out of state, I think that a lot of people took for, for a long while and maybe still, um, and we sort of like squeezed it in. We were very lucky to be able to do it in person. It would have been trickier, you know, trickier to do those things online. And it was really fun to, for it to have the writers and artists and for us to be able to actually go and do that at NREL. It was um, kind of amazing to see all of that. Uh, research space and infrastructure and see what they were doing to kind of inspire the fiction. But, um, in, you know, in, a, in both cases, we got people in the room and they were together for two days. And uh, in these workshops, we sort of move people between small group working time, large group discussions, sort of presentations and report outs on uh, works in progress, some individual working time. We take little field trips. Um, you know, trying to give people lots and lots of inputs and different kinds of, sort of social experiences and emphasize the way that fiction is always about conversation and collaboration, even if all of that gets hidden and dissolved in, you know, a lot of novels and things like that. There's always these intense social dynamics behind any work of fiction. And um, to build on what Clark was saying um, just now, the way we prompt people is not necessarily to say like, here's, you know, a technological brief for you to start with. It's questions about ownership culture, community structure, to some extent, geography, you know, um, you know, people building on places that they're familiar with, that they love, that they have some connection to, um, and trying to use the particular, you know, what, what I guess we call like the human and um, physical geographies of those places, um, all of the unique features of those places to kind of like build, uh, build these renewable energy features on because what working with Clark has helped me understand better is the extent to which you're going to need bespoke solutions for different communities. Um, and, you know, that's fairly obvious, but it's, it's also one of those things that it's like, it's a much bigger concept the more you think about it. Um, because, you know, the vast differences between neighborhoods, between cities, between regions all over the world, but also just within our, our country in the U.S., um, you know, they're just incredible. And, and then you're dealing with like, you know, local stakeholders and politics in each place that are really different. And so those are the kinds of like, that's, those are the ends that we're putting science fiction to in, in these books. We're using it as a, as a, as a way for people to start thinking about the design of 
deliberative processes, institutions, um, uh, ownership structures, uh, you know, forms of social interaction and entanglement, not just to say, oh, what's the particular like solar, you know, technology we're going to need to deploy in this space? And, you know, what, what's the output going to be at any given time of day? Um, so that, you know, that I, and, and it, I just wanted to foreground that working process because I think, uh, you know, coming out of those workshops, then we spend a few months actually editing. We are putting together fiction and nonfiction. Uh, the conversations continue uh, digitally with these groups. Um, they're looking at each other's works in progress. Um, we're giving editorial feedback, but the zeitgeist of the books and the extent to which they feel connected and all part of one conversation with shared concerns and sort of different solutions to the same problems, which I think is a really cool thing about books produced this way, that all goes back to the fact that we all have this shared experience um, that was fairly compact and intense, but hopefully was the starting point uh, for the book. Clark, do you want to sure, talk a little yeah. bit more I mean, about the books and what's in them, as, as, you know, especially as, as someone yeah, with expertise in the field? Well, so let me just talk about one piece of, of the books, which I think is really exciting and which really emerged from the first book uh, as a theme, as an emergent theme that was, and that is just how powerfully the city and its culture and its geography shape people's kind of understanding of social life and the way it might connect up to big energy systems. And of course, I was aware that, you know, the history of the automobile and the internal combustion engine and gasoline and oil, you know, that all has fundamentally transformed our urban landscapes. Uh, I was aware that, uh, the city in the 20th century because of electricity is a very different place than the city in the 19th century because we've created a night and and it turns out that nighttime development was really driven by the electric power industry because they had to figure out in order to make the business model work for these large coal-fired power plants in the early 20th century they had to figure out how to get people to buy electricity at night so they invented nightclubs, they invented uh, amusement parks, they invented radio and television, all <laughs> with this goal of getting us to consume electricity in the dark. my mind. Wow. <laughs> right? So I'm aware of this history that our cities are really products of the energy systems of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. But, but then that re-emerges in the, in the weight of light stories. Um, three of which are about Phoenix. We did not set that, but that's just where we were doing it in Phoenix. And, uh, and a lot of people knew a lot about Phoenix. So there was a lot of, so that just became an emergent property. But then there was this fourth story that was about Detroit. And not only were the three stories about Phoenix, different stories about different cities in the future in some really interesting ways. And in, indeed, in several of them, there are conflicts about which vision of the future we should build for Phoenix. <laughs> but then this story about Detroit was just a radically different story. And I was like, wow, we can, we can just see these kind of very different evolving notions of what we should be doing with solar energy to create different kinds of cities, different kinds of communities and how impactful that was. So when we got to the second one, 
Uh, and when we worked with the National Renewable Energy Lab, we ended up working with a group there called the Center for Integrated Mobility Sciences. And so we brought in not only the solar, but the, the question of, of urban mobility as well. What's the future uh, of the automobile and, and transportation? And are there alternatives to that and, and so forth? And so it just made sense in that context to take this big idea that had kind of emerged from the way to light and run with it. Say, well, let's look at four more cities, right? And so we get these really interesting stories about San Antonio and about San Juan and about Chicago and about Portland, uh, you know, and the Portland one in some ways is really meta. Uh, it's uh, written by a student of ours who's just a fantastic young writer, Andrew Dana Hudson. And um, he writes this story where the central uh, motif is this pair of sunglasses futuristic sunglasses that are like Google or Apple glass on steroids. Mm -hmm. And they're made by the electric utilities and they allow you they allow the utility engineers to go out and look at a landscape and where you and I would see solar panels on rooftops. They see flows of electricity and flows of money and flows of control and, you know, all of this stuff layered onto their sunshades or solar shades. Solar shades is what the story is called. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it really plays into this conflict in Portland between the kind of urban and, sorry, suburban and exurban communities and Portland itself, which is collectivist green. Uh, and, and it's, you know, you get these very different landscapes of what solar energy looks like in these two communities. But, you know, yeah, that's, so that's my favorite story in the book, actually. Um, I mean, probably partly because it's a little bit more on the, the meta side, like you said, uh, but also because I'm from Portland. And so it was interesting just to read about someone's vision of, of the, the, that future uh, and in that city. Um, and just to sort of get all of the things in it that maybe people who aren't from the city don't quite pick up on but <laughs> um it's a great story nice when they're layered with that detail totally yeah for sure um but we're almost out of time unfortunately um Bree, do you want to get at the last question before we have to go uh yeah sure and i would just like to before i get to that i would just like to say how much i believe we all appreciate this new development of art and literature functioning as science communication because the vast majority of, of the global population are not academics they don't have engineering or, or environmental degrees um but but they need to understand these concepts because they'll be benefiting from them so um this you know the effort that's been put into you know creative works functioning in that regard is really really excellent um but yes uh so our last question does ASU CSI have any other fiction projects in the works or on the horizon? So I'll answer that first by just talking about a few other projects that we're doing that bear on kind of climate and environmental concerns, but aren't as directly related to this uh, solar and energy futures work. And then Clark can follow up with with, with some next steps on that. But right now um, we are currently running um, something called the Climate Imagination Fellowship, which uh, brings together um, four authors from different parts of the world, um, an author originally from India, 
an author based in China, uh, one in Nigeria, one in Mexico. Uh, and uh, they are creating original works of climate fiction that uh, focus on positive climate futures and focus very much like the books that we've been talking about, about, about energy futures on local complexities, as well as sort Ooh. of engaging the scientific consensus. So the stories that these authors are developing are in large part based in the countries that they originally from or have these sort of like globe spanning kind of local to global or interregional connections um, at the heart of them. And, and so they're developing, um, the fellows are developing these, these um, pieces of climate fiction. They're, they're each gonna write a novelette, so a pretty substantial work of short fiction, as well as a collection of flash fiction stories um, that hopefully explore different angles or take place in different spots on the globe and they're being inspired by a whole series of events that we've been hosting um, around and running up to the COP26 climate summit in Scotland that's actually gonna happen just in the beginning of November, 2021. And so those events have been with um, the University of Liverpool, the Hay Festival, um, uh, TED Countdown. So TED's kind of like, you know, climate and decarbonization initiative. Uh, the British Library and a bunch of other great partners. So we've been kind of putting the authors um, virtually uh, sort of off camera and on camera in touch with policy experts and academics and sort of um, people who think deeply about climate justice and climate action to um, help tell these stories that are positive and hopeful, but are really, really grounded in all of the difficulties of the coming decades. Um, and then we also um, uh, have been doing these everything change climate fiction contests uh, every two years since 2016 and we're planning to launch our fourth contest in 2022 and um, out of those we we publish an anthology um, uh, so we've published three volumes of of everything changed so far the last one was in 2020 and um, hopefully we will be or rather in, we actually put the book out in 2021 i should say and and, and hopefully in 2023 we'll have the fourth volume um, with great you know pieces of fiction from all over the world Clark, do you want to talk just a, a little more about next steps for our sort of Solar Tomorrow's Energy Futures work? I can, but maybe I should say first uh, something we haven't said yet, which is important, which is both The Weight of Light and Cities of Light are free to download from the Center for Science and the Imagination website for everybody, as are many of the other anthologies that Joey uh, was talking about. So we definitely encourage people to come to CSI's website and, and download what looks interesting to them and have a look. Um, I have lots of ideas, nothing yet that has found uh, concrete financed form, uh, but I think that there are real opportunities as we go forward. We're really accelerating into a renewable energy transition. There's no question about that. I think as we do that, the opportunity to help communities grapple with the kinds of questions about what kind of futures do they want to live in and what kind of, of solar punk futures do they want to create for themselves is a real opportunity for us to, to get really concrete about these kind of fictional strategies and storytelling strategies and how we can use them um, to open up spaces for dialogues about alternative approaches. Uh, to building energy futures. So I'm really excited about that opportunity. Uh, if, if there's opportunities that you all want to pursue going forward where we might collaboratively fundraise to do interesting stuff, let's talk about it. Uh, yeah, so, let, yeah, let's definitely do that. I think that sounds like a lot of fun and definitely worthwhile project. Um, 
of some kind, whatever that project ends up being. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and that would be great. And unfortunately, we're we're really out of time. Um, but we'd love to continue this conversation. Yeah. So I mean, we'll we'll do that offline. And two, you know, once your next project comes out. Or- You've been listening to the Solar Punk Futures podcast, a production of Android Press, brought to you by Solar Punk Magazine. To hear more episodes or learn more about Solar Punk Magazine, visit www.solarpunkmagazine.com. <laughs>